Thanks for joining us today to hear our latest Hope Central podcast. We trust this message will help you know more about Jesus and inspire you to be more like Him. Welcome, everybody, to this special uh, follow-up recording that we uh, missed doing on New Year's Eve, and uh, we're really glad that you've joined us again today for this. If you were here on New Year's uh, Eve, or, you know, December 31st, uh, this is going to be a repeat of what you heard, but so many people were talking about it that we just thought we'd just do it again and give you a chance to really think about and digest the scriptures that we're going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to be talking about Your Will Be Done on my fancy new screen. This is awesome, and I'm going to love using this, especially through our MTS training. But your will be done is this statement that I think a lot of people are by sort of quasi intimidated by and also sort of like fatalistic about. And I think that this statement, your will be done, is one of the most confident, confidence building statements that you can add to your prayers, add to the knowledge in your prayers that is going to really encourage your prayer life. Your will be done. When I was growing up in Christianity, a, a lot of the idea of this your will be done statement seemed to be about kind of submission to God. Now, now it is about that. In a sense, when we go to pray, we're meant to submit our desires and our thoughts to God and to God's thoughts so that we're not praying against the will of God. I mean, that would be crazy to do that anyway. Everything He desires is good, and we're not so good. So, the phrase, your will be done, although I learned it to be kind of a submissive thing, it's actually something that builds our confidence when we really understand this statement in its context. So we're going to look at this original statement by Jesus when he talked about praying. Now, here's how Jesus' teaching begins. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 10, he says, When you pray, don't keep up heaping up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that Jesus' prayer there is in a context. It's, it's something that Jesus is saying about people. When people pray, when people are lifting up their hopes, their aspirations, their desires to God in prayer, and people from Every nation, every culture for all time have done this. That Jesus says there's a mistake in the way that we're making the approach. We think that somehow we're going to convince God to do something that he doesn't already desire to do or something that's not already on his mind. Uh, I've seen different people of different cultures pray, and, it, and I was raised as a Christian as well and was taught Christian religion without knowing Jesus at first, too. So I understand this idea that many of the times that when we go to God, we kind of feel like we're trying to wear Him down or convince Him, like He's sort of our heavenly dad, and if we nag Him enough, then we'll get what we want. Or I've seen other cultures that they feel like if there's not some sort of spiritual power or some sort of repetition or prayers conducted by the right kind of people with the right kind of language, for example... I remember seeing some uh, Buddhist uh, prayer wheels, um, and these prayer wheels are, are down below, well, there are many, many countries, but these particular ones were down at the bottom of, of uh, Mount Everest. And people, as they would pass by in their treks up the mountain, they would, they would spin these prayer wheels. Now, on the, on the wheels were written 
different prayers for help, prosperity, safety, whatever it is. And then as the hikers, the people who were w living in the area would walk by, they would spin the wheels as though each spin is a, is a prayer. And then I saw some other prayer wheels that were very cleverly, someone had w hooked up the wheel to a water stream so that there was, as the water rushed past, like on this wheel, it, it automatically turned these prayer wheels because they thought every time this prayer wheel goes around, it's another prayer up to God, and if you can just mechanize it, then you're multiplying your prayers. And, and that's the exact kind of attitude that Jesus wants to set us free from. If, if we go to God with that, that sense of we are trying to kind of move the hand, move the will of God, and try to get him to do something for us that he's not already on board with, not something he's already decided to do, that... We, the problem is that we go with a sense of weakness. We go with no confidence. We, we go with a sense of, uh, let me try this, but we don't have any conviction that we're going to be heard. And one of the things that Jesus talked about the most was when we ask for things, we need to ask with faith. But how do we have faith when we're not really sure if God's going to do something? And that's really important because Jesus says, if we get on board with this idea that, God already knows our needs, and He already has a will. And when we're praying, we're entering into something that God has already desired, something He's already established. So let's go into the details of the prayer, and I'll show you what I mean. He says, this is the kind of the, the request side for us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So one. Two, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Three, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then he goes on and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. He, he uses the forgiveness idea to really test our sense of ownership or sense of uh, are we on board with this. So like for example, if we say, God, forgive me, but I don't think other people deserve forgiveness or I can't be bothered to or I don't feel like it's right to forgive others, then that is something that's deep down inside of us, a conviction that says, I really don't believe in forgiveness. I feel as though people need to pay for what they've done. Now, if that idea is in my heart, when I ask for forgiveness, I don't really believe it. I don't believe I'm going to receive forgiveness. I believe I have to earn forgiveness like other people need to earn forgiveness from me. And that's what Jesus wants to get us away from. He wants to get us away from the sense of what, what we need in life comes from us, and we need to become people of grace, people who receive gifts. And, and the three gifts that he talks about here, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and then deliver, uh, uh, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. There are three things there. That's your daily needs, your, your life needs, the things that you need every day to function and live. And then, secondly, your forgiveness, the, the offenses that you've caused to God and others that are keeping you out of relationship and then third, the protection that we need from an evil in this world that is far greater than we are. And there's these, these dependence that we have in each of those things. We depend on God for forgiveness. We can't earn it. There's no work that you could do that would earn the favor of God or the forgiveness of God. So we, we need to ask for something. But then we also need to ask for our daily needs. We, we, you know, we think that we're so powerful. We've got it all together. We've got our jobs. We've got our talents. We've got our skills. We've got our economy. We've got our government. We've got all this stuff. We'll get it all done. Jesus is saying, no, you actually don't have much control in your life like you think you do. 
we are daily dependent upon God for our supply, whether that's our health, our relationships, our finances, our food, whatever it is, we need God. And then thirdly, we need protection from evil. The human person, we are not powerful enough to, to fight the good fight. We're not people who are able to fight off evil and resist evil and, and not be affected by evil that's around us. We need protection. So, so Jesus encourages us to ask God with confidence for our every need, for all of our forgiveness, and for our protection from evil. How do we know we're going to receive that? Because we've prayed, your will be done. And that's the context. That's what's so important here. Is it God's will to provide your needs? Is it God's will to forgive you? Is it God's will to protect you? Is it God's will? You see, if it is God's will, then you pray with confidence. You say, of course my Father's going to help me. Of course He's going to protect me. Of course He's going to forgive me. But you see, if you're not convinced that it's God's will, then you're just going to not pray with any confidence. You're kind of hoping, wishing, repeating yourself over and over and over, like you're trying to convince yourself as much as God. That's what Jesus said. Let's get away from that. Now, Jesus, in his life, demonstrated, and other people relating to him showed us that which everything is dependent on, are you willing? You see, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 3, a person with leprosy comes to see Jesus. And his, he says, it says, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, in this story, a little bit of context that you might would, wouldn't understand. The people of this day, if they were a person with leprosy, would have thought, and all their family would have thought, their culture would have thought it, that leprosy was a punishment for an evil that they'd done. Whether in this life or in some pre-birth thing, or they were just somehow wrong. And whether the person was evil and knew what they were doing, but they associated sickness with sin. And so when this person is stricken with leprosy, he thinks, his culture thinks, God did this to me. God did this to me. So in his mind, he's already convinced it's God's will for him to have leprosy. So when he goes to Jesus, he's basically saying, can you, can you turn away the hand of God? Can you, can you heal me? Now, of course, Jesus knows what this person doesn't, and that is that God does not make people sick. God does not make people and punish them for their sins. That it's what we interpret as kind of karma is actually not karma at all. It's just the sort of the, the routine of living on a broken planet. Some get sick, some don't get sick, but that doesn't make anybody good or bad. And Jesus is showing that by this. He touches him first and then says, I'll be clean. But the question is, is it your will to make me clean? And Jesus is saying, that's the right question. I do will. Be clean. And you see, when you know it's God's will, then you're absolutely certain. But let's take that context and take it into another prayer. You see, Jesus also prayed that prayer again, that will be done prayer. When he was in his final moments before the crucifixion, after the Last Supper, he goes in to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's there, he's overwhelmed, he's stressed, he's, he's out of his, uh, not his mind, but he's so stressed that he's actually sweating drops of blood. And his, his, his knowledge is that he's about to go and be crucified for the sins of all humanity. He's about to be separated for God, from God for the first time ever so that he could pay the price for our sins emotional terror, physical terror, and spiritual terror. 
And he goes to God, and he is, in a sense, asking this, is there a different way? But he says this, Father, if you are willing, remember, same prayer as the leper, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, see, Jesus is praying into the will of God in that submissive style that I talked about, but he's also praying into something that God has already decided. And I think this is the ultimate test because knowing that the will of God was to allow Christ to die gives me daily confidence. Because remember this, you and me, we need to be saved. We, we're, we're sinners. We are, at, we are separated from God, from sin, from birth. We, we don't have any kind of qualities or goodness to rely on to have a relationship with God. I am dependent on somebody paying the price for my sins. And when it comes to this final moment to say, Jesus himself is asking the Father, can there be a different way? Can his crucifixion be avoided? Know what the Father's will is? No. The Father's will is you will be crucified. That gives me incredible confidence. Because you know, you know when you watch a, you know, an action movie where there's a, you know, a villain and a good guy, at some point, you know, whether it's like a spy thriller, you know, where, you know, there's somebody that's got a nuclear device and they're going to blow up a city, and, and sort of the leverage in the story, they always have this, they always have the, the bad guy somehow capture this person's wife, his children, his family, or this girl's, you know, person, the, you know, husband or something, and then they say, if you don't you know, let us do what we're going to do, or if you don't give us the secret code, or if you stop, if you don't, you know, stop fighting against us, well, then we're going to kill your family, and all, and, but if you, if you don't, well, then we'll blow up the city, and it's like they use the most precious people in their lives to, as leverage, and, and there's, there's this temptation, well, here it is, here is the most precious person to God. Jesus is the most precious person to God, and when Jesus says, Father, is there a way out? The Father says no. That means that Jesus' death is something that is deeply embedded to the desire and will of God. And do you know what that means? That means it is God's will for His Son to die for you. It is God's will to protect you. It is God's will to love you. It is God's will to take care of your needs. It is God's will and nothing will change that. Not one thing, not even Jesus can change that. Because it is God's will to have you as his own child and to take care of you like you're his own. And so that's what we take into this. Will is this Greek word, thelema. It means like a, it's a determination. That is a choice, a purpose, a decree, an abstractly a volition, or an inclination, a desire, a pleasure, a will. You see, God has made a determination that he will take care of us, a determination that he will save us, and absolutely nothing will change us. When we pray, your will be done, we are only asking for the most beautiful, the most lovely, and the most perfect thing ever, Jesus. So, when we say, ask the question then, well, what's the point of prayer then? Because if we pray, your will be done, the kind of the question that comes to mind then, people think, well, won't it be done anyway? Like, I mean, a, a, as if... God is up there waiting for me to ask for something before he does something. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me that my tiny little pipsqueak prayer is sort of moving the hand of God. And, and then the second question that is, to that is, well, is God's will happening now? Because the people who say, well, it's fatalistic, they simply need to look around and say, well, clearly bad things are happening, so 
clearly God's will is not happening. So if we're in this middle between fatalism and, uh, and uh, you know, the powerlessness of God, then where are we actually acting? What are we doing? Well, I want to explain that idea because this also steals our confidence. So in a book of Hebrews, it gives a picture of Jesus. In the picture of Jesus where it says, for it was not angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? That's in Psalms. You made him a little while for lower than the angels, and then you've crowned him with glory, with honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So this is a picture of Jesus. And as we're introduced in this part of Hebrews to Jesus, he says, when you're asking about the will and the outcome of the desire of God, have a look at where Jesus fits into this picture. Because Jesus is the one that's made lower than all things, lower than all creation. He's not talking about man in a sense of us. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus has been made lower, but Jesus was crowned. So you see the negative, God's will not being done, and then you see the positive, Christ elevated in glory. You see the you know, the undone will of God and the completed will of God. And you see that idea that there is something that is being transitioned from one to the other. Now, who is it through? It's through Jesus. We see at the time, is everything subject to him right now? Well, yes, meaning nothing's going to escape him. But is everything being done according to his desires? No, the answer is no. We're in that in-between time. So it says, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made a lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, what's happening in this death of Christ is that the crucifixion is the legislated will of God. God does not turn aside from that so that he can turn the goodness on us. He allows Christ to suffer so that we can be saved. He allows Christ to be rejected so that we can be accepted. You see, in that, that gap, Christ is filling in the will of God by the will of God. He's doing what God has said. But we see at present not everything in subjection. So, you've got physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs. You've got needs. You've got, you got shame, guilt, the sense of not being acceptable, worrying about being loved. And you've got that, you know, you've got temptations, you've got failures, you've got struggles, you've got evil within and evil without that's causing a problem. So, in those three things, your physical, you know, your, your daily needs, your forgiveness needs, and your protection, you, you've got the in-between. We're all experiencing it. The in-between. Now, is everything in subjection to him? Well, clearly some things aren't. And that's why Jesus says pray. Because it is God's will to bring everything in subjection to him. To bring your health into subjection to him. To bring your, you know, your moral life to subjection to him. To, to bring your spiritual life into subjection to him. So that all things are brought into subjection. That's what prayer is about. That's what we're doing. Now in 1 Corinthians, there's another reference in 15. He says, for as by, man, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, alive but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And then the last verse there, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. You see, it is the will of God to bring about beauty and goodness and love and salvation and forgiveness. And there are things that are not yet under his control. It's like all new kingdoms have a time when they rein in the rebels. Imagine a, a country, a king, an army takes over another nation. Do those people automatically become loyal subjects? No, they don't. Sometimes it, the dominion has to spread. And there are, there are, in this world, there are rulers, authorities, and powers that are fighting the will and the rule and dominion of God. That's, that's why we pray. That's why we pray, because it is God's will to, for Jesus to reign until he has reigned it all in. Okay, so, when we are under his will, we are confident of his will. It says in Psalm 118, listen to these verses here of this psalmist. As he writes in excited celebration, he says, The Lord is on my side. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Like That is a confident statement, isn't it? That is a person that is like, I haven't got a worry in the world. I haven't got a problem that God can't solve. I haven't, there's no person with enough power to destroy me. I am safe. I am fine. I am good. Now, that is a confident statement. Now, that person prays that because they are under the will of God. They want God's will, and they believe that God is going to do His will. They become super confident. So a statement here I say, we pray, speak, and act with confidence when we are confident in God's will. If you ever remember the story of, of uh, King David when he was just a boy, and as the, as the story begins, he's, uh, he's just a shepherd boy. He's just a regular teenage kid. He's, he's you know, he's, he's a confident kid. But he's not, he doesn't have all, his, all the ability to do everything. And he's brought into the army, and he's, his first battle is against Goliath. But as you see King David go up against Goliath, he's not confident in himself. He's not thinking, man, I've got it together. Look at me. He's confident in God. That he thinks that no matter what happens out there on that battlefield, he's going to win because Goliath might be 100 feet tall. It doesn't matter. God is far bigger and stronger than him, and he's going to come out the victor. That kind of confidence, it spreads into our life. In the book of Hebrews, when he begins to quote this, because he's talking about what Jesus has done for us, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you and forsake you. So we can confidently say, now this is that quote, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? See, the Hebrews are saying what people prayed in the Old Testament as a hope has now come true in Christ, and we are fearless because the will of God is to help us. The will of God is to save us. The, the most important thing that we ever know is Jesus died on the cross to save us because the crucifixion demonstrates the truth that God is for us. He is not against us. And when the book of Romans, when he talks about that, he says in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, well then who can be against us? See that quote from Psalm 118? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, Paul is saying you're meant to look at the crucifixion of Jesus as the guarantee of the will of God to love you, to help you, to protect you. And that's supposed to separate you from the fear and lack of confidence that you've spent your whole life spinning prayers up to God and hoping you'll be heard. Because the cross demonstrates it. God loves you, and he'll never change. Then the alternative, which the Bible talks about, is a human confidence or arrogance. When James talks about this idea of people who think they're going to be so hot, they can tell what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, come now, you who say, oh, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a town. We're going to spend a year there. And we know, no, we're going to trade, make a profit. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, what? If the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil or comes from the evil one. So whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. The right thing to do. What is the right thing to do? The right thing to do is have our confidence in Jesus Christ and not an arrogant sense of, of ability. Now, I think there's a big problem here in the Western world that because we've got so many resources and we've got electricity and we've got cars and we've got petrol and we've got contacts and we've got bank accounts, we've got all this stuff, we feel insulated from the things of this world. And my daily bread Tick, tick, tick. I've got it. You know, forgiveness. Well, I go to my counselor. He tells me to feel better. You know, the protection from evil. Hey, a little bit of evil doesn't hurt anyone as long as you're having fun. We kind of have this human-centered arrogance where we think we're like little gods walking through the world. And James wants to remind us, you're actually less than zip. You are, you are powerless in a powerful world. You are on your own against the devil if you're without Christ. You, you're facing the certainty of decay and death, and there is not a medicine in the world that will keep you alive forever. You are weak and powerless, and any other idea in your head is actually just arrogance. It's not confidence, because you only get confidence when you pray, if the Lord wills. And so there's a difference. See, God wants you to be confident, not arrogant. What's the difference between confidence and arrogance? Well, it's the same difference between humility and insecurity. See, confidence is when you know that somebody else, God, is powerfully behind you, powerfully in front of you, controlling your life, the outcome of your life, and the things that happen in your world because He has the ability. Then you can say, hey, what is anybody going to do to harm me? Arrogance is when my hope is in myself, when my power and my confidence is in myself. Then we kind of strut around and think, look at me, I can do anything. Yeah, really, we're a joke. But there's another side to it, and this is a side that some people wear instead. They consider insecurity to be a kind of humility. Oh, why would God help me? I'm lowly, I'm nothing, I'm dependent, I can't go anywhere. I could never pray that prayer and get an answer. I could never talk to those people. I can, And that kind of false weakness is not humility at all. It's kind of a humiliation, but it's an insecurity that looks like humility. In the same ways, arrogance can look like confidence, 
But that insecurity is an uncertainty. It's the sense of not knowing that you are protected, that you are blessed, and that God is on your side. Humility is when you know you're lowly, but God loves you. Confidence comes when you recognize that God's will, His unchanging will in Christ, is to keep you and bless you. So, in 1 John, he says, I'm going to write these things. I've written these things, the whole book. He's up to John chapter 5. The whole book, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's that crucifixion, understanding your salvation. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have made of Him. You see, He says, you got to get the right relationship with God from the start. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's demonstration of His love and goodwill towards you, then you know that you're adopted and that you're a precious child to God. And there is no sense of insecurity or doubt or fear when you go to your Father in prayer. You don't go to Him and think, oh no, I've had a bad week. I think I sinned a little bit this week. I didn't say the right thing there. And I I looked at something and there was a little bit of greed in my heart and a bit of envy. And oh, now now when I go to God, I'm like, oh God, please, I know that you don't like me, but you know, can I please give some help? You see, I want you to compare this. Do you think that your sin, that your your weaknesses, your, your flaws, do you think that they are more powerful in the will of God than the death of Jesus? Now, let me ask yourself that question. Do you think that you, uh, that you and your behavior is what determines whether or not God does what he's going to do? You see, the gospel teaches us that the death of Jesus eliminates all sin in mankind because he pays the debt for everybody. And he leaves us in a position where we're not confident in our own self then because we didn't pay the debt but we're confident that Jesus has done it for us. So when we go to God, we should never think, do I deserve this? We should always think, does Christ deserve this? Because Christ earned it for us. And he says, John says, I am writing these things to you to ground you in Jesus Christ so that you always ask what you need of God with confidence. Because confidence is faith. And if you don't go to God with faith, if you don't believe that you're going to receive, you won't receive. So you have to go with confidence. Saying, God, do your will. Do the will you promised in Christ. Take care of all my needs. Take care of all my family. Take care of all of my concerns. You're my God. So, Psalm 2, chapter 1, verse 4. This is the solid foundation. This is the, this is the absolute declaration in the book of Psalms that Jesus Christ has come to rule and to save. He says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're they're saying, oh, let's burst the bond apart and cast away the cords from us. Now, the idea that humankind, that people have enough power and ability to rebel against God and say, oh, I'm not going to do your will. I don't care what you say. I'm going to go my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing. My friend, that's where I was, and if you don't know Jesus, that's where you are too. But you see, we can't get away from the will of God because eventually we're going to face the consequences because it says in this Scripture that he who sits in the heavens laughs 
because the Lord holds them in derision. We are not as big as we think we are. The world is not as lost as it thinks it is because there is a new king. It says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I'll tell you the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This is about Jesus. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces as a potter's vessel. Do you hear, like I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 about the rule of Jesus? Do you see him breaking the powers of this world, destroying those things? But rather than seeing the setting of Jesus as the king of this world, through his death and resurrection, rather than seeing that as something that you suffer under or have to endure or he's going to push you in a certain new and uncomfortable way. It's not that. Jesus is being set up so that he can inherit all of the nations so that everybody can come back to the Father and be saved because it is God's will to save the world. And he wants everybody to know that. And if you're in rebellion against God or in your doubt and fear against God, then my, my call to you today is this. Pray your will be done and know that that will is to save you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to protect you from evil. And he wants to give you your daily and then your eternal needs because he is king and Lord over all. And when we pray, we are asking God, saying, God, Right now, this isn't right, but I know you've got the power to make it right. And so I pray, bring everything to the way you want it in Jesus. Bring the nations. Let them be inherited by Jesus. And take me and my needs and my heart and my concerns and make me deeply aware that your will is for me. Pray, my friends, your will be done. And pray it with confidence. God bless you. And we'll hope to see you soon.